Good morning. Welcome to Dublin Bible Church. I am so glad that you're here. We are actually in our second week of a series called Trending. And we launched it intentionally on Easter Sunday because we know the thing that was trending in the first century around the time of Jesus after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was he is risen. And we believe firmly that every follower of Jesus is a resurrection person, that the resurrection, that the event then also allows the Christian to have power to do because as a Christian, you have the resurrection power of Jesus residing within you so that we are able to do whatever it is that the Bible says that we can do We can go and we can obey God in the way that he says that we can, even when we're overwhelmed, that because of what God has instilled and promised to the believer, we can do the very thing that God wants us to do. And he actually gives us the power to be able to do it. And so this week, we're actually going to be touching on a couple different passages, but I believe if because of the events we're going to talk about today, one of the things that would have been trending in their day is is the kingdom of God is near. Or maybe um, after this, the kingdom of God is here, question mark. So now we're going to talk about what does it mean to be kingdom people? What does it mean if you're a follower of Jesus and now you're a citizen of heaven? So what does it mean that God is your king? What does that mean for us? What does that mean that we're supposed to do? What is the business that we're supposed to be about? But before we do all that, I want to just see how up-to-date you guys are on some things that were trending this week. So I have two things that I saw on Thursday, one of which is near and dear to my heart, um, and it may be to yours. Did anyone see that it was National Burrito Day on Thursday? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone at all? We have, we have a couple. Man, you guys are slack. The 915 was solid. There were people all over the room. They must be burrito lovers like me. Like, I don't know why it's important that we actually have a day on our calendar that is the National Burrito Day and that it is so important nationwide that we have to make it trending in our culture. I don't even know. I do know that, that burritos are good, but I just don't know why that is the case. Also, something I thought was intriguing on Thursday as well, there apparently were some zombie raccoons in a part of Ohio. Did anyone see that? What they were doing? And yeah, saw that. It was weird. I don't even know why we put this stuff on the news. Obviously, they had rabies. Obviously, like it wasn't a big deal. It should have just said, hey, a couple of raccoons got rabies. All right, good. You know, and what's done, but apparently it was a big deal. And it went, the zombie raccoons, and they were standing on their hind legs showing their teeth. I'm like, That's what sick raccoons do. Like, I don't know what the big deal is. But what I think is interesting in our culture is how easy information is spread throughout really the world. Like in an instant, stuff is just, it's just spread out. I could put something on Facebook. If I have enough of a platform, I can see something and it can be generated even from right here in Dublin, Georgia, and it can be trending eventually throughout the whole country nationally, or even if it's a big enough deal globally. Like it's so amazing to me that these things happen, that we have the ease of access and such, such an ease of transfer of information that something can happen in, in such a small place and yet carry out throughout the rest of the world. And yet isn't that really the storyline of the, of the early church? It was such a small movement. It was these Jesus people. They didn't even know everything that was going on like with, with Jesus, and they were confused. Even after the death of Jesus, the disciples were like, I don't know what I need to do. I think I'm going to hide. So they did. 
And then after the, the death and burial and resurrection, and then they still, they were starting to believe, but they weren't really sure. And then Jesus showed himself to them and some of them believed and some of them doubted. I'm like, how could you doubt that? I just don't understand, but they did. Maybe I would doubt too. And then it was after the ascension, the ascension, the, the resurrection and ascension that Jesus went back into heaven. And he's sitting at the right hand of the father right now. Like it was at that, that, that then the church started to take form and things started to be different. So what I want us to, to start with this morning is really the bottom line. The bottom line this morning is this. When it comes to the church, the, group, the church is a group of sent people where everyone is a someone and everyone's invited. The, the church is, is a group of sent people where everyone is a someone and everyone's invited. That means that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of the church, you're part of the gathering, you're part of the ecclesia, that's the Greek word, you're part of the assembly, which means that we have a responsibility outside of sitting. Whether if you're sitting in a row or sitting in a circle in a community group, we have a responsibility, a biblical mandate to do something. We're gonna see this today. But also I believe that one of the things that really confused the early disciples was Jesus kept talking about the kingdom of God. And he, he began his ministry and John the Baptist began their ministry saying that the kingdom of God is, is near. And that's kind of confusing, but then Jesus had a way of capturing their imagination. And then he would talk about the kingdom of God and he said, the kingdom of God is, is like a mustard seed. And it's gonna start really, really small. But eventually it's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow. And it's going to be a place of comfort and relief to those outside of itself. And they had to have just really blown their mind. Of like, what do you mean, Jesus? And then he would say, yeah. And, and also the kingdom of God is, is like a, a merchant and like looking for fine pearls. Maybe they were drawn to bling. I don't know but there was something there and that had to have really blown their imagination. And then Jesus said something that was even more, I believe, uh, just transcended their culture and speaks right into ours. He says, the kingdom of God is, is welcome to children. And in their, in their culture, children were devalued. And now he's saying, no, 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 even the value and worth of children is gonna be elevated and they are welcome in the kingdom of heaven. But then he says something that's so perplexing. And if, if you live in the United States, which... I reckon all of you do, right? Unless you're here, you're listening to this from somewhere else in the world. I, I think one of the things that Jesus said about the kingdom of God should be so troubling for us. He says that it's hard for a rich man and it's also hard for a rich woman to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I've, I've been thinking about this this week. I'm like, why is that hard? It's because in our culture and where we live, we're the most financially wealthy, most comfortable group of people ever to exist on planet earth, ever. So what if Jesus was talking about how hard it is for the rich man or rich woman to enter the kingdom of heaven? What if he's talking about the United States? What if he's talking about in an area of the country where our faith has be become so comfortable that it's almost like second nature and thinking that everybody's a Christian because they live here? What if that's what Jesus is talking about all along? I want us to get it right. But when Jesus would talk about the kingdom of God, he was also painting a picture of a different way of life. 
a different value system internal to themselves, a different way of thinking, a different way that their hearts would be governed. It's a different way of making decisions that he would talk about this kingdom. So what I want to talk to you about today is what it means to be a kingdom person. What does it mean for us? What is our responsibility as being kingdom people? So we're going to start this morning in Matthew 9, starting in verse 35. And in it, we're going to see something that Jesus talked about the kingdom, but also we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to see rather what Jesus talks about. He says that there's, there's some work that needs done and there's few workers to do it. But let me not get in front of the word. Here we go. So we are landing in Matthew 9. We're going to launch from here and actually going to go into, eventually go into Acts 8, 1 through 7. With one common thread woven throughout all the passages that I may bring to mind today. And this is what it says in Matthew 9, starting in verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the, what's the next word? The kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd is what Jesus says. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus went all around the towns and villages. He's explaining to them that there's a different way of life. That he wasn't just painting a picture of heaven. He certainly was talking about that. But he wasn't giving people an out to say, you can be so heavenly minded that you do no earthly good. Instead, what he says is, if you are going to be my follower, that you are going to be a kingdom person, that you're going to pursue the same thing that I pursued, that you're going to live the life, you're going to pursue the life that I talk about and that Jesus teaches. And he leverages, I love this too, Jesus leverages his power to share the good news. We see this in the early church that he's teaching in the synagogues and he's preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. He was showing them with the power of his words, the power of God's word and the power to be able to give them relief from disease and sickness. But I have to be honest with you, my favorite part of this that I've, I've been drawing to is in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had what? He had compassion. You would totally expect for him to look at the crowds and see judgment because they were getting it all wrong. But Jesus had compassion. He saw through a different lens. Whatever he saw, every follower of Jesus needs to be able to see. He viewed people with compassion. He didn't view them with judgment. They already stood judged. The lost people, people who are condemned, they're already condemned. They're already going to be judged for their sins. Jesus knows that and he, he knew that and he knows it today. So when Jesus says this, he views through a different set of lenses. He looks at these people of needing something, needing a someone. 
He sees them with compassion. I want us to see lost people around us with compassion, not with judgment. The world judges each other. But we have to be people of compassion. We have to be Jesus people. We have to be kingdom people. That way, people would be drawn to our message as they see the power of God working through us. That we would be kingdom people because Jesus is our king. But he sees them as as harassed and helpless. They were Sheep without a shepherd. Did you know that's the reason why the tagline at the church is helping people find direction? It's this exact passage. Because we see people that need spiritual direction. They are like sheep without a shepherd. There is lostness all around us. And sadly, I just want to look at me, please. Sadly, the lostness around us has a Christian shirt on. They know verses better than you. They listen to all the Christian songs, but they're lost. It's the reason why one of the big emphasis for this whole year, for this whole year, is for all of us to be a Jesus people. Because saved people are sent people. Saved people are sent people. Saved people who have been radically redeemed from their sin and shame by the blood of Jesus and asking Jesus to forgive them of their sins, that compels us to experience the unconditional love and then to be loving unconditionally. Did you see that? That's what we're supposed to be as Jesus people. But it takes viewing people not with judgment because that's what everybody else does. That's what, that's what lost people do. But instead, as Jesus people, viewing people with compassion of saying, I bet they are hurting right now. Viewing people with compassion who don't vote the same way as you. Viewing people with compassion who don't have the same tone, skin tone as you. Viewing people with compassion who live on the other side of town than you. It's those people that Jesus is wanting us to show compassion on too. Not to sit back in judgment, but instead to view them like Jesus does, as sheep without a shepherd, needing something, the good news of the gospel of Jesus, and someone, the life that Jesus offers. So, what Jesus said in this passage is so relevant today. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This is something that I pray about about our church. Not to build the namesake of our church, but to expand the kingdom of God right here in middle Georgia. That it's bigger than than Dublin. It's bigger than Lawrence County. It's bigger than the the county you live in. It's bigger than that. To be ever expanding the kingdom of God. But I, I pray that we would be a people who would take this message serious. I pray that we would be a people who would understand that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, that we would just enlist ourselves and say, you know what? I'm willing to do the work of the gospel because I have been saved. I've been loved so unconditionally, and I have to give my life to the gospel that's already given me life. So if you, I said this in the 915, if you feel like, there's times where like, I really need to share the gospel with this person. I need to go talk to this person. I need to go share a truth with this person. It could be the result of my prayers. You're welcome. <laughs> because these are things that I pray about. That I want that for you. 
I want that for the, the sake of the gospel and the glory of God because I know that the only thing that's going to fully reconcile our community and the only thing that can reconcile families and the only thing that can reconcile your soul is the gospel message of Jesus. Not good Southern living. Good Southern living condemns you. The gospel redeems you so that you would experience the unconditional love of God. But we as a church have to leave the mending mindset and move into the missional mindset. We as a church have to leave the mending mindset. I can say this with a healthy pride, not a, not a, a self-glorifying pride, but in a pride that glorifies God. That I can say that we have become over the, the years of my pastorate here, that we have, we've been at a place where people have had an opportunity to come in here and heal from a lot of different brokenness. But there has to be a time where you leave the hospital. There has to be a time where you, you chip away at the mending mindset, well, I can't because I don't know enough Bible. I can't because I'm not a super Christian. I can't because I haven't been in church in long enough. I can't because I've had this, this experience. I can't because my son's a prodigal. I can't because I've had this divorce. I can't because of this. We have to get beyond the hospital because if you stay in the hospital, it's not a place of mending anymore. Then it becomes an asylum. We have to leave the mending mindset and stop giving God all of our excuses and start utilizing the power he's already given us. It says in Ephesians 1, I believe in verse 3, that every follower of Jesus already has every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. So that means you have everything available to you to do what it is that God's calling you to. Without exception and bigger than our excuse. We have to leave the mending mindset. Well, I can't because. We have to leave that and get into the missional mindset. Say, God, I don't know what it is that you want me to do, but I'm going to put on my work boots. And I'm going to put on steel toe work boots. And I'm going to get dirty for the gospel. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get so involved in people's lives who, aren't, who don't even think like me, who don't look like me, who, who have a different socioeconomic path than me, but I'm going to get involved with those people. Not to make me feel good, but Jesus to make you look good and to make the gospel known to them. But we have to get beyond the mending mindset. We have to get beyond the, it's just a hospital for sinners mindset. It's a great quote that's partially true. But you have to, and I have to, stay away from the mending mindset because it holds us back. It shuts our mouths and it puts us sitting on our hands, satisfied to sit in holy huddles like this, in rows or in circles, but it limits us expanding the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus left us on earth to do. Now, by his teaching and example, Jesus called the church to follow his way of life and to participate in the kingdom of God. To participate in the kingdom of God. You say, well, pastor, I, what, what do you mean by this? Go to, this is a great thing for you to maybe study. Go through Matthew 5 through 7. 
And there's, there's several references to the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, meaning the same thing. And this is talking about the lifestyle and the kingdom ethic, the way of living for a Jesus follower. So as sent people, there's, there's a responsibility. We are, sent, we are sent out community where everyone is a someone. That means you matter. That means your story matters. That means your family matters. That means your kids matter. That means where you live matters. That means where you work matters. That means your extended family matters because God has put you, he has placed you with them for a specific reason. Where everyone is a someone and everyone's invited and there's no reason to be afraid. I just have to say to somebody right now, you don't have to fear anymore. You don't have to fear anymore. You don't have to fear anymore. You don't have to cower down anymore. If you are in Christ, you can have a firm backbone and you can stand up tall for the gospel of Jesus because Jesus, he clothes you with his righteousness. He has clothed you with his righteousness. You lack nothing. There's no reason to fear. We can step up and do the thing that he's calling us to do for his name's sake and for the sake of his gospel. And we do so for the glory of God. We have no reason to be afraid. We were told in a passage that's very familiar to you most likely in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We're told by Jesus, and he declared these things, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you, even to the end, very end of the age. What Jesus is saying to you and I is this. If you're a saved person, you've automatically been a sent person. If you, if you have been radically redeemed from your sins, you're no longer in your sin. You've ex, you're experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus over your sin and there's no more shame. And you're, you're living in that way, living in victory. Even partially, not fully. It says you as a saved person are automatically a sent person. This isn't like, well, I get to do this and then one day I get a title and then I go do this. It isn't like, well, I know eventually that therefore go, and I know I just can't wait to go on a missions trip. I can't wait to go with that team, and we're all going to put on those really colorful shirts, and I can't wait to take those pictures and make sure those pictures are spread throughout my social media feed to let me know that, I, let everybody know that I went on a missions trip. No, no, no. It's saved people are sent people. Saved people are automatically sent people. This isn't like some higher level of learning that then gives you the ability and power to go and evangelize someone else. This isn't that, well, one day I get to be a super Christian in five years and then I would really like to go on a, on a missions trip. No, no, no. You, as soon as you were, re, you were redeemed of your sins, you were automatically sent on a missions trip. It's called your family. It's called your home. It's called your extended family. It's called your school. It's called your workplace. It's called Dublin. It's called Lawrence County. It's called the whole area around middle Georgia. Saved people are sent people. This isn't some higher level of learning. Well, eventually I'm gonna know enough. That too becomes an excuse. 
and making disciples, learners. And it says all nations. One of the amazing things, the word nations here is, is the Greek word ethne, and it means people groups. And did you know that at the end of times in Revelation, there's going to be a representative of every people group. And the fulfillment of the end of times that's talked about in Revelation will not happen until every people group has been evangelized. That's what we're supposed to do. We're to be, we are supposed to be playing a part in that, that every people group would be evangelized because there is going to be an, a, a representative of every people group in heaven. We have a job to do here, a job to do here and now. Now let's go to Acts 8, starting in verse 1 through 7. We're going to see what this looks like in real life when people take this message seriously. So going beyond the, the hypothetical, instead now we're going to see once the early church has been birthed and Acts 1.8, there was a certain message. We're going to get to that in a couple minutes. There was a certain message that the disciples took seriously. Then you see in Acts 2, it's the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit of God came down. It was a miracle. Holy Spirit of God came down in tongues of fire and gave everyone in the proximity of this room the ability to speak in different languages. That way that the message of the word of God and the gospel according to Jesus would be spread out instantaneously in all of these languages. So now the, the church is gathering and now they're telling people. But something has happened right before this passage. One of the deacons, one of the original seven deacons, a gentleman by the name of Stephen, had been stoned to death simply because he would not recant his faith in Jesus. So even with opportunities, as a matter of fact, he gets up and preaches a beautiful sermon just a beautiful sermon talking about the Old Testament. And he's, I mean, he is just going down there. They're certainly throwing stones at him. And he's just preaching away, most likely, until his dying breath. And this is what happens next. Verse 1. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Some of you know the Bible. You know who this Saul is, don't you? That's Paul. We're going to see his conversion a little bit later in this series. On that day, the same day that Stephen was stoned, one of the original deacons, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men, most likely God-fearing Jews, buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Can you imagine this? You can't imagine this because this is in our culture, but the same thing's happening all over the world today. But it continues, verse four. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Wow. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed the Christ, the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he had said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Back in verse one, it does make mention of 
Saul, later known as Paul, he's giving the approval at this point. He's giving the approval of the martyrdom and the death of Stephen. So now he's giving the approval and he's standing there most likely saying, it's okay that you do this. I can't help but think of the quote that I shared at the, at the end of my talk last week. And it said that the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. This you see as Stephen was the first martyr. And maybe what we would expect to see in our, in our country, because we are, we're such a fear-based country. Maybe what you would expect to see in our country is, is, well, Stephen was martyred and all the church people hid. But instead, that's not what happened. Stephen was martyred. People escaped the city, but everywhere they went, they shared the gospel message. This word persecution is not a favorable word. It's not a word that we use very often, but I will, uh, I'd like to give you a, a working person's definition of the word persecution. It means the hunting, the systematic hunting down of followers of a particular religion to inflict pain or death upon them especially to destroy the religion by destroying the followers or by forcing the follower to renounce their beliefs. This isn't uh, something that's just, uh, that just happens within Christianity. As a matter of fact, I was reading this week, there are tribes people in India today that are persecuting Muslims and Christians, both alike, simply because they have different beliefs. So this isn't something that just happens to Christians, but this certainly does happen to Christians in countries all over the world. So this, on, the, the, on that day, on the day of Stephen's death, a, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. The word scattered, meaning it means to spread out or to scatter seed, to scatter seed. And I believe the reason why this word was chosen is because something that was said in the Gospels in Matthew 13, 37 through 38, it says this, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man and the field is the world and the good seed stands for the sons of the what? Kingdom. Jesus always talking about the kingdom and now the scattered seed, the people were scattered they had to leave their comfort zone of Jerusalem. And as the persecution hit their comfort zone, they were pressed outside of the city because of persecution. And as they oozed outside of the city, then they, they went into Judea and they went into Samaria. And then you see the ministry of Philip. It picks up in verse four. Philip goes into Samaria. The Samaritans, they were a people that were, they were known as half-breeds to the Jews. It was, like they, it was like a mixed race with the Jews and there was so much anger in the Jews that had been there for thousands of years that the Jews looked down at them as almost like half people. Sounds a lot like some things that are happening in our culture and have been for the last couple hundred years here. Generations fueled by hate. So that when Philip leaves the comfort of Jerusalem. He as a deacon, then the only thing he's taking with him is the gospel message of Jesus. And now he goes out past Judea and he goes out into Samaria. And now he's talking to people that were forbidden to be talked about before. The, the 
other person who talked to these people was Jesus in John 4 in such a, a scandalous way that Jesus talked to the woman at the well, talking to the, the Samaritan woman and sharing with her some things. And now Philip goes out and now he goes into Samaria. And I can't help but think of a quote by Warren Wearsby, and he said, the persecution does to a church what wind does to a seed. It scatters it and only produces a greater harvest. That the persecution comes and it's pressed out and that Christians have to leave their comfort zone. And as they leave, they're so compelled to plant more seed, to spring up a harvest, to raise up a people who live out a kingdom ethic, to glorify Jesus, to endure some persecution, to be pressed out, to spread out more seed, and eventually the gospel makes it throughout the world. Also, Acts 1.8, you see that Acts 1.8 is actually being fulfilled right here with Philip in Samaria because what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They, were, they had already been doing that. And in Judea, they started to do this. And Samaria, this is Philip taking the, taking the gospel into Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The way this breaks down is in Acts 1 through 8, or actually in Acts 1 through 7, you see the ministry happens to it happens in Jerusalem. Acts 8 through 12, you see ministry then spreads out as the gospel has been pressed out. People have been taken out of their comfort zone, going into Judea and Samaria. In Acts 13 through 18, you see that now the ministry is going to the known world at the time. And everyone was a someone, and everyone was welcome. As a matter of fact, Galatians 3.28 says this, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Doesn't matter where you come from, that you're welcome inside the church. So let me ask you this. I, I want to close with really the main application for this whole talk. The Jews had bias in their heart against the Samaritans. They had bias in their heart. They looked down upon them. I mean, they were their neighbors. It isn't like they lived hundreds and hundreds of miles away. They lived close, but they looked down upon them. They had bias in their heart. I just wonder if some of you have bias in your heart. Maybe you have bias in your heart for somebody who votes differently than you. And you don't view them with compassion. You just view them with judgment because you're simply convinced that you're right. And if you're right and they don't vote the same way as you, then they must be totally wrong. And maybe that bias in your heart needs to be dealt with. Maybe for you, you have bias in your heart for people who are of a different socioeconomic status than you. And that bias in your heart is, is clogging up your heart and it's clogging up your ability to share the gospel with other people. Maybe that bias in your heart is for people who live in a different area of town than you. And you look down upon them because they just don't live where you do. Maybe you need to do what was how John the Baptist ministry started and how Jesus' ministry started on earth.
Maybe you need to do the first word of what both our ministries began with, and it's the word repent. It's repenting of the brokenness that's in you, repenting of the the bias of viewing people as less than you. How dare us as the church, people who have been loved unconditionally, how dare us not to go out and love others unconditionally? That's what we've been commanded to do. But maybe for you, if you have bias in your heart of somebody who looks different than you, different socioeconomic path than you, different uh, voting block than you, maybe what you need to do, if that bias is in your heart, what you need to do is repent. And you need to go to God and ask for forgiveness. Say, God, I am sorry. I have been selfishly looking down upon people assuming that I'm right and everybody else is wrong, assuming that my way is the only way and that they're not worthy of my attention because they're different than me. Asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins, accepting that you're a sinner and that's just that the sin of bias in your heart is just a symptom of the greater sin problem that plagues you accepting the finished work of Jesus, that he died on the cross for those sins and ask him to forgive you. And I know that he will. And turning away from the old way and turning to the new way, the kingdom way. What I love about this is when we get this right, when we, we allow Jesus into the depths of our minds and our hearts, we can have what was talked about in, at the end of this passage in verse eight. We can see in our city, we can see in our county, we can see in middle Georgia what they saw. So there was a great joy in the city, all because the early church understood that saved people are sent people. As the band comes up, I wanna lead you in a prayer And I know some of this may be heavy to you. And maybe there's some things in you that are unresolved. Maybe you came in here thinking, you know what, I'm fine. I don't have any bias in my heart. But maybe in the midst of me saying that, you feel like the Holy Spirit of God is saying, what about this? What about that person you're avoiding? What about that phone call you're not making? What about unfriending all of these people just because they think something or maybe believe something or they vote differently than you and maybe that's created a bias in your heart and maybe the Holy Spirit of God has said what about that so I want to lead you in a prayer of confession and repentance and then we're actually going to finish out the morning with singing would you stand with me now and would you bow your heads and close your eyes Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving us unconditionally. God, that there's no theological hoops that we have to jump through to be accepted by you. That you accepted us where we were, dead in our sins, condemned, needing your righteousness, and you extended that righteousness to us, clothing us with your righteousness. Father, we're clinging to that. And God, we just come before you. 
those of us who are, who are believers in the room right now, God, we just come before you. And if there's, if there's been bias that's been revealed in anyone's heart, God, I pray right now in this moment that in the stillness of it, God, that we would confess it. We would say, God, I'm sorry. I looked down upon them and I shouldn't have. God, I want, I want to view people with compassion like you view people with compassion. See people as being in need of something, the gospel, and in need of someone, you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, as we've confessed that before you, draw us into trusting in the forgiveness that we already have in you. And maybe for the person who's far from God, they're far from you, Jesus, and maybe they've, they've never even repented of their sins. Maybe it's that person in this moment that they're just, they're so overwhelmed and there's so much internal angst, God. God, for that person, give them the words, give them the strength to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I am a sinner. I've been living a life of shame. I've been living life on my terms and I don't want to do it anymore. Please come into my heart and save me. God, in accordance with your word, that is a message that saves a soul. Take somebody from death to life. And Lord Jesus, for all of us, continue to empower us to do the things that you're telling us to do. And God, allow us to see it and experience it. And let us never be satisfied with settling for the hospital of mending when we are kingdom people on a mission for you. Amen. Amen.